Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norn. I'm joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And what feels like the first time in ages, Paul Field. You alright, fellas? Yeah. When was the last time you were on? Um, It's been a while because we had one scheduled, then you had to go somewhere, Steve. Yeah, I can't remember why I that. I we were going to do a football one and you double booked and you like sent an apology. That was it, yeah. It's all Steve's yeah. fault, yes. <laughs> We'll have, to do, we'll have to do the football one somewhere, though. You spend all week watching fucking football, Phil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing is that he's Steve's managed to avoid watching Dangerous Games so far because of it as well. That was the other thing I'm as well. I'm saving it. I'm saving it for the football special in time for next year's 2018 World Cup. <laughs> Did you watch it in the end, Owen? No, I haven't watched it yet either. We'll have to try and get that in before the end of the year. Yeah, I'm not beholden to it like Steve is because of, you know, that was his booby prize for losing the quiz. Mm. But, uh, I will yeah. watch it when we for when we do the football special, um, which we will rearrange soon because, um, yeah, we like films and football. But this week we're not doing football. We're doing spies in films as we round off the podcast with a triple bill of our favourite movie spies. Um, quiz though, Paul is hosting as he ever does when he comes on now because he's very rubbish at answering film questions. <laughs> he's very good at doing film quizzes. Yeah, that's fair enough, Steve. Yeah, um, I know, Owen. You're going to really, really love this quiz because it's on your favourite subject. Well, that could be anything. That could be anything. James Bond. Is it? Oh, great, great. I love that guy. Yep. I know you do. However, I will say that most of them don't really require massive Bond knowledge. They merely require you trying to work out. Or guess, uh, basically. Yeah, yeah I'm to- totally going to annoy people by getting Bond wrong. That's what's I'm happen. not a Bond fan either. I don't get it. They're all guessable. Right. Mm. You ready? Yes. Before we start, the current score is me 1 0 0. Yeah, and it's best yeah. of three. Yep. Yeah. Good luck, Steve. Thanks. Not so much you, Owen. Um, <laughs> which of these three Bond songs achieved the highest UK chart position? Was it Writing on the Wall from Spectre by Sam Smith? View to a Kill by Duran Duran? Or Skyfall by Adele. And uh, Steve, do you want to go first? Go on and I'll go first. See, now I reckon... Do you get a bonus point for saying where it came? I will allow that. Good. Make up the rules <laughs> as we go along. Um, see, I don't think it'd be Duran Duran. I think 
it's going to be Adele or Sam Smith. I reckon Sam Smith, uh, and I reckon he got to number two. Uh, I reckon it was peak Sam Smith when that came out. So Bond and peak Sam Smith equaled top results. Okay, Owen? I think lots of people hated that song, though, whereas Skyfall seemed to be everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to say Skyfall. And I'm going to go for a bonus point and say it was number one. Okay, well, Sam Smith got to number one <gasps> with Writings on the Wall. So it's a point for Steve. Oh. And uh, Adele, she only got to number two with Skyfall. So no points for you, oh. Owen. But no. I didn't get myself a point. No, you didn't get a bonus point, point but you did, no. get, uh, you did get the right answer. Sam Smith yeah. and Duran Duran also got to number two with A View to a Kill. Mm. So adjusted for inflation, Skyfall is the highest grossing Bond movie. But what's the second? Owen? Mm-hmm. Bonus point if you can give me the amount. It's either Thunderball, uh-huh. Goldfinger, or Spectre. Oh, man. I'll, I'll play it safe and say Spectre. Spectre. I reckon... I can't remember what that got. Let's say... Let's say that got 600 million in total at the box office. Okay. Steve? I'm going to go for Goldfinger... Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say 325 million box office. Okay, well, you are both wrong. It was Thunderball, oh. which adjusted for inflation would be $1 billion. No way. The next, yep. Third was Goldfinger at 900 million. And a fourth, Spectre at 800 million. So no points each. That is insane money. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? I, I was re- When I saw that, I thought, what? Yeah, a lot of people went to the cinema back then. Mm. Yeah. You know, it was peak, peak Connery, wasn't it, Thunderball? Yeah, yeah. So, who was the oldest actor to play Bond? Was it Roger Moore in A View to a Kill, David Niven in Casino Royale, <laughs> or Sean Connery in Never Say Never Again? And as we've done it so far, you can have a bonus point if you can guess the age. Steve, I think it's your turn to go first on this one. I'm going to go with Sean Connery. Mm. And I'm going to go 58. Okay. Owen? I mean, it seems like the obvious answer should be David Niven. Uh, uh, yeah, David Niven. I don't know how old he would have been. 65. Do you want to have a guess? <laughs> right, okay. It always well, quite old. Unsurprisingly, you are both wrong again. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, Roger Moore in A View to a Kill, who was 57. Um, David Niven in Casino Royale was also 57, but just yeah. slightly younger than Roger Moore. And um, Sean Connery in Never Say Never Again was 53. Oh, there you go. See, both. out of a possible six points between you so far, you've got one. <laughs> but who's got that one? You have, Steve. And that's all that matters. Right. Owen. Mm-hmm. Who declined the role of James Bond and cited the reason not interested in starring in action movies? Liam Neeson, Sean Bean or Clive Owen? See, now I think Sean Bean was offered a role as Bond. But then he was in a Bond film, so Liam Neeson. Let's go Liam Neeson. He's always been one who's uh, prior to Taken was a bit up himself, wasn't he? Yeah. Steve? 
So we had Sean Bean, yep. Liam Neeson, yep. and Clive, Clive Owen. Owen. Yep. I think it's Clive Owen because it's not Sean Bean because he was in a Bond film and you can't have a Northern Bond like that. <laughs> and you can't have Liam Neeson with his like weird kind of Irish accent. So it's, uh, it's got to be Clive Owen. Right. It was actually Liam Neeson. Yes. However, they were they were all offered and all uh, all de- all declined for various reasons. Clive Owen is because they wouldn't give him percentage points. And um, do you know what? I can't remember what Sean Bean's was, but there was a reason. Because yeah, they had to survive. Old guys. They wouldn't they wouldn't kill off Bond at the end. So, so Roger Moore, who was obviously the best Bond, um, <laughs> suffered from which phobia? Hoplophobia. The fear of guns, mastrophobia, the fear of breasts, or galliophobia, the fear of sharks. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, Steve. He definitely weren't afraid, afraid of boobies. <laughs> right. I'm going to say sharks. Right. Owen, what do you think? Guns, tits, or sharks? <laughs> I think it's sharks as well. Because he throws it's guns around. Guns. Oh, what? <laughs> You've still only managed to get one point each so far. Right. Last main question. Which Bond regular did I often see doing their shopping in Sainsbury's in Bexhill? <laughs> was it was it Desmond Llewellyn Q? Was it Bernard Lee M? Or was it Lewis Maxwell, Moneypenny? I oh, it's Owen first, isn't it? Uh Q. Steve? See, now I don't think it was Q because I think Q actually lived in my hometown, which is nowhere near Bexhill. Yeah, it'd be quite a trek to go and do your Sainsbury's shopping, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I might have got that wrong or it might be a different Q, but definitely one of the Qs did, I think. So I'm not going to say Q, I'm going to say uh, M. It was Q. Oh, right. yes. <laughs> he had the house backed on to uh, uh, my, my kid's school just up the road. Right. We're now going to play a quickfire round of Bond or Bonk. You have to tell me whether these potential porn parodies are real or fake. Right. Steve, you're going first. You yeah. ready? Yeah. Poonraker. Bond. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. Does that mean it's real or fake? Bond is fake. Bonk is real. Because if it's bonk, then you've no, gone porn is, is bonk. Is real. Yeah. Right. Gold finger me. Bonk. You only lick twats. <laughs> Bond. Thunderballs. Uh, bonk Dr. No Panties Bonk The Spy Who Fucked Me Bonk <laughs> The Living Fleshlights Bond <laughs> A View to a Killer Ass Bond Octopussy That's, that's both <laughs> Bonk <laughs> Golden Shower Eye Oh for God's sake Bond <laughs> Okay. Owen, mm-hmm. you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready to play Bond or Bonk? Let's do this. Poonraker. Oh, uh, Bond. Goldfinger me. Bonk. You only lick twats. <laughs> Bond. Thunderballs. Bonk. Dr. No Panties. 
Bonk. The spy who fucked me. Bonk. The living fleshlights. Bond. A view to a killer ass. Bond. Octopussy. Bonk. Golden shower eye. Bonk. Well, I put mm. you out your misery. They were all made up apart from number nine. Ah. Um, Octopussy was indeed, a, 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 there was a porn parody of that. However, as you both managed to pick that out, yeah. the final score is three points to Owen and two points to Steve. Well done, yes. Owen. Yes. Oh. oh, thank God. Yes. Well, I'm glad that's over because I really don't want to have to say you only licked twats again. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for playing Bond or Bonk. Time now for what we've been watching, where we take a look at some of the films that we've seen in the last week or so. This week it might contain a few new releases or a new release, um, as we're not doing a uh, main review of any new releases. Um, Paul, which British gangster flick have you seen this week? Well, Steve, I actually watched uh, a new Danish comedy called Dan Dream, which I've been waiting for for, well... For ages, to be fair. Um, for those of you who ha- would have seen Casper um, Christensen and Frank Harm in uh, Clown, and and then Clown Forever, which were like, sort of wildly successful, if indie um, comedies from a few years back, um, they're both real comedians. They're both Danish. They're both going to be fairly popular in their sort of home country, and. It was a really weird story. They decided to make a film which is inspired by the production or attempted production of the world's first electric car, um, which is in real life was called the Hope Whisper. But in this film, it's called the Dan Dream. And the the kind of the premise is Casper um, is like head of... Uh, like the head guy in an electronics firm keeps coming up really good ideas, like things like the home computer and the firm he works for just think he's crazy. They're saying, you know, nobody's ever going to have a computer in their house. And he up sticks, sets up on his own after bumping into Frank, who's riding a bike with a special battery attached to it, which he claims to be, you know, five times more powerful than any other battery going. And that leads them to come up with this idea of making an electric car. They kind of set up a little factory out in a little village in the middle of nowhere. And uh, yeah, if you are expecting clown, then it's definitely not that. Um, it is still very funny, but it's more of more sort of a matinee type humour. Although, to be fair, Frank does shit in a B-day. <laughs> and they do right. do loads of coke all the time, but it's it's really it's because those those kind of moments are very few and far between. The rest of it deals with a very gentle comedy about these idiots effectively trying to build an electric car. You've got the massively camp guy who does all the design and the interiors, um, Frank who does the battery. Casper's in charge of them. The engineers only got one arm. Um, the financier is completely off his tits on coke the whole time. The women are all put upon and moaning. Or, or um, in, uh, for those of you who've seen Cat, uh, Clown, um, Mia, who 
who plays Frank's wife in the in the in the show. She turns up as the mayor's wife who gets knocked about. There's a, a racial thing where because Casper's married to an African lady, um, and you you know his the pain in his face every time that people comment about her and stuff. So there is a, a very light, serious side to it. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Those guys really do know how to make a comedy. Tight 90 minutes. If you like clown, you'll really, really enjoy this, but don't expect clown levels of outrageousness. A difficult second album then, in a way. Well, they, you see, they did clown. They did clown forever. Um, they're currently recording the seventh season of Clown the TV show. So I think it was just to do something a little bit different, but most of the people in it are from the, are from the films and the TV show anyway. I don't know if there's a, right. a lack of Danish actors or they just like working with the people they know. And did the car end up looking like uh, the one that Homer Simpson invented? It's... <laughs> It's it's all based on a true story, and I, didn't re- I genuinely didn't realise this until the end. Until I actually saw the clips of what really happened, um, so that that was a bit of an eye opener. But yeah, it's crap. The car, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Owen, what have you seen this week? As Paul may have described it in an email earlier when we were discussing this, and he called it a sex movie. Uh, it's not quite what it is. I watched a film by Brian Usner who. Um, I mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago because uh, he directed The Return of the Living Dead 3, which I was, I thought was great. I, th- I was really impressed with that because um, it was the first time I'd seen it since I was really young. And actually, I didn't realise how well it held up as like a, a just kind of a different take on the zombie um, genre, the subgenre. So I thought, okay, I am going to check out a few more Brian Usner's films because I've I've enjoyed stuff of his in the past. You know, I've liked the Reanimator sequels that he um, directed. Uh, he uh, did the Dentist films, which I remember watching as a kid, and well, not that young, but remember watching them when I was younger and thinking they were pretty um, freaky. So yeah, I went back and found his directorial debut from 1989, uh, which was on Shudder, which is Society. At a, uh, I guess you kind of, you could call it a social commentary. It's basically a teenager who doesn't feel like he fits in with his family. He's from a rich family, but they don't really like him. He doesn't seem to be on the same wavelength as them, and he finds that actually in just society in general, he just doesn't fit in. Imagine being a teenager who doesn't feel like he fits in with society, but. That is the commentary, because what happens is society isn't a abstract concept. It is an actual amorphic blob thing of naked people who get together and consume the poor um, for fun um, or sustenance. And he kind of gets embroiled in this uh almost, It's almost like Rosemary's Baby in that everyone in the town is in on it except him. Everybody knows about what's going on. But uh, this um, Bill, Bill Whitney, he's called, played by Billy Warlock. He's kind of the outsider in all of this. Uh, Including, I mean, stuff even like his sister, he finds evidence of his sister being involved in this kind of incestuous three-way with his mom and his uh, dad. 
It's that kind of freaky. And that's why I think Paul referred to it as a weird now sex thing. Now we're talking. Yeah. Tell me mm. more. Mm. Um, everyone is involved in this weird, like, orgy uh, of the social elites. And so, yeah. I mean, it's just really freaky. It's got lots of, I guess, like you would call it body horror. Um people's faces kind of merging into other people's torsos and and stuff like that. Uh, it's not overall like a fantastic movie, but what it is is something that's... It's obviously got a message. It's not the most challenging concept. It's not the most like... Uh, it's not going to raise any awareness or answer any questions that people have. But what it is is like saying, you know, this is how teenagers feel. Generally, teenagers feel like they don't fit in. It comes up with the answer as, you're not crazy, you're not weird, it's everybody else. And actually, if you take it as just like this weird sci-fi comedy horror thing, it's really enjoyable, it's really entertaining. It's got Brian Usner's finger marks all over it. If you've seen um, From Beyond, for example, which is just a really great sci-fi horror from 1986, a few years before, which he wrote... Um, and was uh, directed by Stuart Gordon, and they kind of teamed up on a lot of other films, including the reanimator movies. Then, yeah, give it a go. It's the same kind of uh, humour as perhaps something like Basket Case. Uh, it also reminded me of The Stuff. So if any of those are kind of ringing bells for you, if you think that's the kind of thing you enjoy, then, yeah, check out Society. It's, it's quite a short horror film. Totally worth a watch. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. But, Paul... You, your reaction then tells me you may have seen this before. I, I, do you know what? I don't. I, if I have, I don't remember it. I'm looking at the IMDb now. Back for, it's like from the late '80s. Yes. Although it is still an 18 certificate. Is that because they haven't reclassified it, or is that because it really is an 18? I would say uh, it probably is an 18. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty okay. grotesque in places um, because it, I guess it's like sexual kind of violence in a way. Uh, okay. So yeah, it probably is still an eighteen, um, but it's. Well, as really you fun. never watch sex stuff, Owen, I will definitely watch it. Yes, yes. This is what gets me off. No, I'm not. That doesn't. That's I'm lying. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just a great, great little film. Okay, so this week I have seen uh, a new release, and that was uh, Logan Lucky. Owen, did you get a chance to see this in the end? I know you were talking about going to see it. but I really did want to see this. This is uh, Steven Soderbergh's film, isn't it? Yes, the the comedy with Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, and Daniel Craig, and many others uh, yeah. as well. Because he, like, he came, he retired, didn't he, after um, Behind the Candelabra? The thing? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that he um, retired from making films, and I'm using air quotes as I say that because I think everybody knew that wasn't going to last. That was not going to stick. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not a surprise that he's back making feature movies, but I don't. I mean, is the enthusiasm still there, do you think? Is he actually... It's, it's good. It's not great. I mean, the, the, the first thing is Seth MacFarlane is in this, and if you see him in a trailer for the film... And you know, you know, you're not perhaps uh, up to date with cinema news and directors and everything. You might think this is going to be another Seth MacFarlane comedy, and it's going to be crap. Not really the case, actually. Um, it's actually, I mean, there's nothing really original in it. It's about a guy called Jimmy uh, Logan and his brother, um, 
called Clyde and for various reasons they're down on their luck and uh, whatever and they come up with a plan to steal some money from uh, a local motor racing track on like their busiest day um, and the money everyone's seen the trailer will know this but the money's moved around using um, pneumatic tube um, pneumatic tube system and they find a way of basically breaking in and stealing the money um, and they you know hire a or they get together a, a ragtag band of people to go about doing this um, and they all have different reasons for wanting to steal the money and the stealing of the money doesn't go, quite go according to plan it's all quite predictable nothing's really new about it um, but it is it is quite funny it is quite charming um, you know you do kind of like the characters are quite likeable um, I didn't really get on with the Daniel Craig one where he's you know putting on this American accent as this um, guy they have to break out of prison um, but you know it's it, it's good the, the plot works like I say it's nothing challenging it's nothing original but it it works it's not it doesn't feel overly long even though it's a comedy that's coming in just shy of two hours long it doesn't feel it doesn't feel overly long um, Channing Tatum's good Adam Driver's good does he play uh, Adam Driver or is he doing <laughs> something different no he's he's playing Adam Driver but he's you know he's not well he's, he's he, mm, he, <laughs> yeah a bit a bit different he's, play, he's playing an Iraq Iraq war veteran who, who's got who's lost one arm um, oh, okay so it's a bit yeah it's different to type really but yeah, um, I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. I don't know how well it would stand up to repeat viewings, obviously, because I've not seen it more than once. I don't know if it'll you know, be a film that keeps making you laugh every time you watch it. I don't think it would be. Um, but certainly the first time you watch it, it definitely brings up a lot of laughs. Um, it resolves itself in a nice way. Um, There's definitely worse comedies that are two hours long. I, I did really enjoy it. But it, again, it's, it's it's nothing original. It's nothing groundbreaking. Um, it's nothing different. Um, it's a kind of it's a kind of comedy you'll have seen many times before. It's a kind of heist film you'll have seen many times before. But it's still worth watching. A return now to Triple Bill, and this week's theme is our favourite. Uh, movie spies and I think that could have been well, interpreted any way we wanted yeah not necessarily favourites we just pick three spy films could be of any sort any calibre we're not restricting it necessarily to um, three favourites because I think sometimes it's fun to do favourites like when we did Stephen King it's fun to pick your three favourites but I think when we have spies it's quite a broad category isn't it because you've got like spy thrillers yes. you've got spy comedies um, you know, it can open it up to you could just pick three Bond films if you wanted to. But um yeah. Which I thought Paul be, probably has. <laughs> I thought it'd just be fun to see what people come up with, really. Okay. Um uh, we'll do this in um round robin format. And Paul, why don't you start us off? Yeah, which, no problem. Which, which James Bond film have you picked? <laughs> well, I've gone for a my first pick is from two thousand and six a Dutch spy thriller um, directed by Paul Verhoeven um, called Black Book, oh. which stars the, I have to say, amazing Car- uh, Carice Van Houten, uh, who 
Um, do, you, do you form a big breakfast presenter? <laughs> no, that's Denise Van Out. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to take your hat off to her because she's she she you know she does the film in in English, German, and Dutch. She gets her tits out. She shaves her minge in front of a mirror so you can see what's going on, and she gets covered in shit. I mean, if you you know to get someone to sign up to be able to deliver all that, she she gets it's hats off from me. She plays uh, a Jewish woman who sees her family all murdered um, by by the Germans, and while these sort of Jewish people are trying to escape, this guy arranges escapes for them, and they all get gunned down. She manages to escape. She then joins the Dutch resistance and becomes uh, an infiltrator. She gets a job inside the German high command. Um, it's just really, it's, I think, probably Verhoeven's best film in terms of it not being completely ridiculous all the time. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's not Starship Troopers or Robocop. It's, you know, it's, it's properly grounded. Um, really fantastic performances across the board. Most of the, the actors you won't know anyway because, you know, they're, they're Dutch. Um, it did get a nomination, actually. I think it was up for Best Foreign Language Film. Potentially, I can't remember. Um, but it is the most expensive Dutch film ever made. And I love this bit in Wikipedia. It says, the Dutch public voted it the best Dutch film ever. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, the only other really good Dutch film that I, that I genuinely love is, um, I think it's, it's a called... a sex film. <laughs> it's not a sex film. It's also about the resistance. Is it Man of Orange? Is it Rutger Hauer? Soldier of Orange. Yeah. Soldier of Orange. Which is also Paul Verhoeven. Oh, well, there we yeah. go. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, have, have you both seen this? I've seen Soldier of Orange and uh, um, Black Book was on my watch list on, I think it was Netflix or Amazon or it might, no, it, it, is on Netflix. it was on my love film list and uh, okay. I cancelled love film before it ever got sent to me. So, yeah. Well, it's on Netflix. Mate, honestly, it is absolutely fantastic. It's incredibly violent, really clever whodunit, great as a spy, a standalone spy movie. Very, very violent, of course. Lots of sexy time. I know you're a big fan, Owen. Totally. And um, and some and uh, some minge dying and shaving. Lovely. Mm. Well, there we go. I mean, that that just makes it perfect, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what I look for in all films, really. <laughs> My first choice is uh, I tried to go with this one for kind of all modernish spy fil- spy films or recent spy films because um, I thought a lot of people might go. You know, Bond, although Bond's obviously up recent, I thought people would go to older Bond films or older films in general. Uh, the first one I went for was from 2012, and that was Argo, where Ben Affleck decided to uh, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune by <laughs> starring, directing, and producing the thing. Um, and it is the uh, or based on the true story of uh, the situation in the 70s revolving the US embassy in Iran. Um, and uh, Ben Affleck plays uh, Tony Mendez, a CIA agent who has to go undercover to get out a load of people who, uh, well, six people who uh, managed to um, evade capture or death from the Iranians storming the the embassy or the uh, yeah the embassy um, and the, the 
the way he did it was he pretended that he and they were a film crew looking at making uh, a science fiction movie in that area uh, called Argo. And I've seen it once or twice since it came out, but I remember it coming out, probably came out, must have come out in the first year we did this podcast, but I remember us reviewing it on there, on here. We did, um, yeah. But 20, yeah. I just remember it being really, um, really very good, quite gripping, entertaining. Uh, I think they did take some liberties with the um, certain parts of the story and how true they were, sort of, you know, taking off from the, the runway as, with the Iranian guards on the runway trying to stop them. Um, but yeah, I remember being really quite tense, funny in parts. I remember really liking John Goodman and Aaron Arkin's characters as the kind of Hollywood people trying to put together this fake movie and make it convincing. Um, but yeah, that that's my first pick. Mm. Um, and Owen? Your first choice? So I decided to watch three spy films that I hadn't seen before. And it started so well. I found one that I knew I was going to watch and I did watch and I really liked. And I'll talk about that last. I'll save the best till last. But then I kind of ran out of time. And so this afternoon, um, whilst doing other things, I had to quickly watch two spy movies uh, that were available to me on Netflix Netflix doesn't have a great selection of 90-minute spy films. So I ended up watching two utter... Well, one utterly diabolical piece of shit. I watched I Spy from 2002. Which... But do you know what's what's going to happen now, though? Now you've watched two shit spy films on Netflix. All Netflix is going to recommend you now is is shit spy films. Tell me about it. And I really should have thought about it more because I Spy from 2002, directed by Betty Thomas, who is known for directing the Brady Bunch movie, is known for directing Alvin and the Chipmunks, the squeakquel. Um, And also she directed Dr. Doolittle. And I left that one till last because I Spy stars Eddie Murphy. Oh, my God. As a... Yes, a 2002 as how, Eddie as, Murphy as how many different <laughs> As how many different characters? <laughs> he just plays one irritating character. He's a professional <laughs> boxer who is called upon by the president to team up with a spy who's played by Owen Wilson. So Owen Wilson and Eddie Murphy in a buddy spy movie. Um, a top secret spy plane is stolen. They have to retrieve it. That's that's the plot. It's a comedy, obviously. It stars um, also the lovely Famke Janssen in 2002 um, when she was at her kind of peak, I guess, because she was just after the um, X-Men movies. Also, it stars the often forgettable Gary Cole uh, and the never anything but a bad guy, Malcolm McDowell. They're all in it too. I would like... At like an I Spy to being like a Jackie Chan buddy cop comedy, just without Jackie Chan, without any of the fun or any of the cool stunts. So if you can imagine all of the wit and the charm taken away from a Jackie Chan movie, um, that's what I Spy is. It, so you're basically saying it's a shit rush hour. It's a. It's not even a shit rush hour. It's like a, a shit accidental spy. It's a. 
one of those awful mm. Jackie Chan films. It literally like resorts as well to a scene where Owen Wilson and Eddie Murphy are just kicking each other in the balls. That is a recurring gag through the thing is that they get hit in the balls. It's like it's like the characters in Idiocracy came to our world and were given $70 million by Columbia Pictures to make a movie and they came up with this. That's what it is. If they can, if they can make man getting hit in balls not funny, <laughs> they've done something really wrong there. Yeah. Well, it's, because most of the time a man getting hit in the balls is funny. It, but it's so often. I mean, they must use that gag about like eight times. It's like, come on. Mm. That's not... That's not comedy and it's like okay I'm, I'm being very down on it some of Eddie Murphy's uh, improvisations kind of made me chuckle some of them were quite funny because you know it's just Eddie Murphy doing his thing and that's not always a bad thing I mean Eddie Murphy can be quite uh, quite funny even in some of his shitter movies but it gets very tiring very quickly um, so yeah apparently in the original TV series as well that I read online uh, in the 1960s um, the Eddie Murphy character was played by Bill Cosby so no comment either way I just thought I'd point that out um, yeah it's basically yeah it's a buddy spy film it's not very funny got a very naff story doesn't go anywhere a twist without any thought or consideration it's just lame it's just really really lame and it screwed up my Netflix recommendations forever now any Eddie Murphy film that gets added to Netflix is going to be, hey, you liked Spy, you watched I Spy, watch this. You're an idiot, Owen. <laughs> Tell me about it. God. Yeah, no. I haven't got much sympathy for you. <laughs> you'd like, have you like tried it? Did you assume you were going to lose a quiz and you just watched it in advance? You, you can't bank them, you can't get <laughs> that's credit. That's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm banking them, I'm classing that so... Just in case Steve ever... I shouldn't have said anything, should I? Because then Steve might have found this out at some point on his own and tried to make me watch Ice Spy. And I could have pretended wow. I'd never seen it before. Paul, what's your second choice then? My second choice is from 2005. Um, it's a historical political thriller um, about the Israeli government's retaliation to the PLO... Munich Massacre in 1972. Um, Steven Spielberg's Munich. That was one of my choices as well. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm actually... See, <laughs> this is why, Steve, this is why you're here. Owen, lowering the tone, watching <laughs> terrible Eddie Murphy comedies, and here we are. Me and you all the talking good about stuff, watching... things about uh, murdered athletes and... Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I love this film, and I haven't seen it for a long time. And um, I just, Eric Banner, who plays the uh, Mossad um, agent who's tasked with, with getting a, basically getting a little gang together to, to go after and, and retaliate against the PLO. He's, he's given 11 names that he's supposed to kill, um, un, pretty much unlimited funds, and told he must keep receipts. Yeah, it's the, it's the pretty... only thing that lets this film down is it's not a really good getting the gang together montage. No, <laughs> that's true. They do all sort of. They are just there. Yeah, you need you need a getting the getting the gang together montage if you're going to get a gang together. The trouble is, it's quite long as it is. Yeah, and, there's a and lot it's a bit of too it's a bit too stuff. heavy for that kind of scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But never mind. Have you seen this, Owen? You must have. Actually, it's one of the few Spielberg films I've not seen. 
Ugh. Mm. I, do you know what? Possibly one of his best as well. I tell you, I tell um, you what, a, a, yeah. a Spielberg triple bill would be a, a good one. Would be an interesting one. Hmm. I would imagine we'd all come up with different films as well. You could easily, yeah. uh, you know, end up with completely like someone could go for all the sort of family movies and have like, yeah, ET and Jurassic Park and stuff like that, and yeah, you know, and then others could go for some, so, some more cerebral stuff like you guys have. There we go. There's there's a, there's an yeah. idea for a quiet week. Let's do it. That is a really good yeah. show. But going back to Munich, so you've got the squad of assassins, um, and then. Yeah, they they literally track down these guys one after the other. Although it's slightly murky because to, to find out where they are, they employ the services of this this family who seem to be able to find people for them. Um, but they they stress the whole time that they will not work for governments. They're completely neutral, and they don't realise that Eric Banner's character is is of course being funded by the Israeli government. They think he says he's being funded by rich Americans. Um, he has so much work to do in this Eric Banner. His performance is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. And you've got, you know, it's two, is it two, two and three quarter hours, something like that? It's not, it's a, not, not a short one, is it? No. And he he's on screen a lot. But I have to mention Daniel Craig's dodgy South African accent. <laughs> yeah, don't get don't get Daniel Craig to do accents. Oh, <laughs> it does pull you out of the film a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, he looks really young as well. Even though it's not that, it's not that that you know not that long. Was ago, it two thousand six? It was out so two thousand five. But yeah, but if you if you want a long, involved but you know entertaining true story spy thriller, kind of yeah. yeah, and and and. You know, as I said, I, I I wasn't I'm not or wasn't really a big fan of Eric Ben. I'd actually forgotten he was even in it. To be fair, um, but yeah, he's really really good. He's got some acting chops on him and then some. Okay, I'm going to move on to my well final choice now, as um as as Paul picked, well, I picked one of mine, um, but then luckily for you, lot, I can shut up. <laughs> and I have gone for um a film that has its sequel, um coming out pretty soon and that is Kingsman um starring uh Taron Egerton and Colin Firth as two Kingsmen who are spies um Matthew is based on a, a comic isn't it or a graphic novel or yeah Mark, Mark Miller's comic series yeah yeah um and it directed by uh Matthew Vaughan and a real big and perhaps surprise hit when it came out um because I don't think anyone was really expecting Colin Firth to be able to pull off being such a cool, suave, but all-action spy. Um, I mean, that the fight scene in the church that he's he's in mm-hmm. is just great, and you just I just don't think people, especially probably as he's just not far off doing. You know, people know him for stuff like The King's Speech. Pride and Prejudice is the one that everyone yeah. labels him with, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and then he goes goes and does this, and it was just. It was just great fun. I don't think anyone could have not liked Kingsman. It was really good fun. It was entertaining. It was clever. I don't. I don't know if it is meant as a parody of Bond films or Bourne films. Or I'd say it's more like, like a pastiche. You know, it's yeah. But I don't know. If it, I don't know if it is meant as that or if it was just uh, like a a spy film that was you know done in that way because it's based on a, a comic. And it just you know I don't. 
But well, there was, was the thing yeah. about like um, Samuel L. Jackson as the bad guy, wasn't it? That he said he'd always wanted to be a Bond villain and he'd never been offered the part of a Bond villain. But actually, he got to be a Bond villain by p- playing part in this, in Kingsman. That was yeah. his, he, he effectively was a typical Bond villain, wasn't he? Yeah, from like the old school Bond yeah, films. Yeah. The creepy, kind like, of cat-stroking sort of... Over the, t- over the top, silly plot. Yeah. Sharks with lasers on their heads. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I I thought it was great. I can't wait for the sequel. I think that looks like it's going to be great as well. Well, I mean, I hope so, because yeah, Kingsman was a very it was a surprise um, hit for me. I thought it, like you said, I didn't expect much from it, and then I came out of the cinema and thought that was a lot of fun. Um, but the yeah. the sequel, I mean, Mark Miller's stuff is generally very hit and miss. Sometimes within the same mm. stuff, like it's part part good and part shockingly bad, uh, and yeah. sequels as well never really have been his forte. I mean, if you think of uh, Kickass Two, for example, what a load of sh- yeah. shit that was. So yeah, yeah, I will keep my fingers crossed for Kingsman rather than uh, live in expectation of it being as good. Okay, uh, well, Owen, what's your second choice? Um, so I might have been a little bit harsh earlier when I said it was a load of old shit because I don't think it's a film that's meant for me. Uh, but I watched mainly because I, I kind of thought, had I seen this before, stuck it on and kind of realised that, nope, I haven't actually watched it. It's Spy Kids from 2001. Are you drunk, Owen? I'm drinking whiskey at the moment <laughs> to numb the Owen, pain. You, you, you do know for... For Triple Bill, you are allowed to pick films that you've seen longer ago than like today. Yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of put this self-imposed mission on myself to watch three I hadn't seen um, because I kind of in the the last few Triple Bills, I've gone back to a lot of films that I know quite well, and I thought it's a good opportunity to try something else out. Um, a wasted opportunity is probably more accurate. Uh, yeah, so obviously Spy Kids from 2001 is a kids' film. It's not really meant for a 31-year-old miserable twat like me. But I, I kind of went to it because it's um, directed by and written by Robert Rodriguez, uh, who is kind of one of my favourite directors, one that I like um, returning to. I mean, if you think of stuff like... Uh, the grindhouse stuff like Planet Terror. And in fact, there's a reference to Machete in Spy Kids, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, Biosa did Desperado, which I really like, from Dusk Till Dawn, um, uh, El Mariachi, all that kind of thing. But this has Antonio Banderas, who's one of his frequent collaborators. Um, also stars Carla Gugino. I don't know how to pronounce the name. You'd recognise her if you saw her face. Um they're the two parents. They're retired spies. They take a mission. They get captured by the children's presenter, Alan Cumming. Uh, and it's up to their kids to save them. They're spy kids. See? Like how the title says that they're kids and spies. Yeah. It's weird. It's like more weird than I expected it to be. There's like mutated people who are made to look kind of like blob things who scream, help me, in the background of this uh, Teletubbies style kids program. There are giant thumbs that are in the shape of people that are Alan Cummings' henchmen. It's got weird uh, gadgets that you'd expect from 
spice booths. Well, I mean, actually, maybe maybe I'm being harsh by calling it a spoof because I think what Rodriguez um, did with Spike Kids is he just genuinely went out there. He set himself this task of making a good spy film for kids. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's got support roles for people like Danny Trejo, um, Robert Patrick, Cheech Marin, of course, is in everything, Terry Hatcher, Mike Judge is in this, Paul. Just in case you were wondering, mm. yeah, Richard Linklater. I have seen it. I've, yeah. I do have two teenagers. Of course, yeah. Do they like it? <laughs> Did they I, like it? Yeah, they loved it. Yeah, I think it. That's the problem. I, I, I don't think I enjoyed it, but it's not meant for someone like me. It's not meant for a cynical twat. It's meant for um, uh, you know, nine, ten-year-old kids, uh, even yeah. younger, perhaps. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but then it's because it's just full of like stuff that I, every little thing in it that's a bit quirky that I quite like. It then has stuff that, that so takes you back to, I'm not supposed to be watching this. Like, people walking into stuff and people finding it funny. Or Didn't Rodriguez, isn't he on record as saying he, he made these for his kids? For his kids, yeah. He wanted to make yeah, something sure, that his yeah. kids could see. Um, and that's all, it, that's all it is, you know. Um, so, yeah. I, I thought Alan Cumming was pretty great, though. In, he plays a weird, creepy eccentric sort of character a bit like Willy Wonka you know uh, uh Willy Cumming Willy Cumming well I've got an idea for you Robert buy them a fucking Xbox the same as every other parent you and don't just... need to spend 60 million dollars making them a film yeah <laughs> very successful series of films for him though I know I'm just kind of weird <laughs> how successful they were but uh... what do you want for Christmas it's 60 million dollar film <laughs> 60 million dollar film <laughs> yeah also, bit of trivia, it was the last film that he ever shot on film. He went completely digital from that point on. So, just in case anyone's interested in that sort of thing. Okay, um, Paul, your final choice. I've gone for Bond. Of course do you, know, you have. Do, do you know which Bond? Spectre. I reckon it's going to be Roger Moore Bond. Yep. Where he goes to space on the moon? No. No? Do you know Owen? Uh, the one with Christopher Lee. No, no. It's um from nineteen seventy seven. It's the Spy Who Loved Me, um, which is what I always like to think of as the disco Bond era. <laughs> it's obviously the best Bond. It has the best opening sequence with the snow, the parachute with the Union Jack. Um, reading up on this, apparently at the premiere where they did like the Royal Gala, when that parachute opened after that amazing opening scene, like. Everyone stood up and started clapping and cheering, <laughs> like including Prince Charles, um, which I thought was, you know, that was that was quite nice. Um, you've got a great villain. He's got a fantastic lair that's underwater. You've got the best car, the Lotus Esprit, the white one with the little with the fins that where he that scene where he drives that out onto the beach and all the people are looking at him is just like peak peak Bond, fantastic. <laughs> The song, Carly Simon, Nobody Does It Better, absolute banger. Probably the best Bond theme tune. They it, they did the the soundtrack has Bond seventy seven disco remix of the theme tune. Come on, who doesn't want that? <laughs> it's fantastic. Kurt Jurgens is a great villain. Barbara Bach is a great Bond girl. The the settings are fantastic. You've got that scene in Egypt with Jaws. They go to Italy. They go to the Bahamas. They went 
all out on this one and it is absolutely the best Bond and anyone who disagrees is a fucking idiot. <laughs> you have both seen this. I just want to check. You have seen this. this. I can't remember whether I've seen it. We watched a load of... Um, I watched a load of Roger Moore films when we did a Bond special for whichever Dude, Bond film... the car was. goes underwater. You'd remember the car. White car yeah, with possibly. fins going... Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, um, it's also... It was the one that was spoofed with... Um, the third Austin Powers film, wasn't it? With the guy parachutes into the car and I've was that never Tom seen Cruise? An Austin Powers film. You've never seen an Austin Powers film? Oh well. No, I don't like. I, I don't like that. They, those like sixties kitsch spoof stuff. They were, I, yeah. I never liked them. But first time round, all now. Oh uh, well, okay. Well, I was going to say otherwise we might have to redo the complete triple bill and insert some uh, Austin Powers movies. But that's probably a giveaway to what's not in my final one, which is. Which is The Long Kiss Goodnight from 1996. Told you I'd save the best till last. Um, well, it wasn't really hard when you picked Spy <laughs> yeah, Kids. And... But it was between a kids movie and an Eddie Murphy movie, <laughs> you know. And you come with the bloody Long Kiss Goodnight. Yes. Well, that was the first one I watched like about a week ago. And I thought this is going to be... Great. I'm going to start with a bit, like something I hadn't seen before. I knew. In fact, I was a little bit worried about talking about this because do you think it's a little bit of a spoiler to say it's a spy film? Because I know you've seen it before, Steve. Have you seen this, um, Paul? When it came out 20 years right, ago. Yeah, <laughs> literally 20 years ago. 1996, that was 21 years ago now. Well, it's so old that Gina, J- Gina Davis was still a thing. Yes. Well, she was a thing <laughs> because she was in two movies in, a, in quick succession by uh, Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan is the director of The Long Kiss Goodnight. He is, or was, also the husband of Gina Davis at the time. Right. Yes. Is she now doing Panto in Bolton or something? She is, uh, I'll tell you what she is in. She's in the Exorcist <laughs> TV series, and that is great. I really like that, that, that show. Second season of that's watched, coming back soon. I watched the first episode and binned it, so I don't know. Yeah, it, it wasn't a great opener, but it got a lot ah. better. It's really worth going back to. Um, okay. Yeah, it's one of the one of the best shows that's been on in the last few years. I thought it was it was awesome. Um, but yes, no, she's in this. She plays a mom who has lost her memory, um, and she's made a life for herself. And it turns out she has a past where she was like a spy, an assassin. Um, teams up with Samuel L. Jackson again. He just gets in on all, all these films, doesn't he? Samuel L. Jackson's in it, surprise, surprise. Um, he's also in another Rennie Harlan film. Rennie Harlan also did Deep Blue Sea, which has one of the best death scenes in it, which involves Samuel L. Jackson, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I loved it. I, I don't think it's necessarily Shane Black's best film, but then, like, he's got such a, a high calibre... And he only wrote this, and I think part of the script was... I mean, there were lots of things in The Long Kiss Goodnight that I recognise from other Shane Black films. And not just, like, the fact it's set at Christmas, not, like, um, it's got a strong female lead or anything like that. I mean, it's literally um, lines of dialogue, which I've heard before, uh, which seems weird, because, like, this script was sold by Shane Black... It's quite infamous, this film, because he sold the script for $4 million, which was a like huge amount at the time. It was a record. Like 
blew all the other like script writers out of the water. Nobody had sold a film for anything close to $4 million. Um, and off the back of that, he retired from screenwriting for years. Um, but it wasn't just because he had lots of money. It was because he got such a backlash from other screenwriters who sort of accused him of selling out or like it was, uh, you know, they, he ju- they were just kind of jealous, I suppose, um, because, you know, it's not the most glamorous job being a screenwriter. Uh, they often got sh- get shit on by the studios and um, Shane Black was out there lording it over them with all this like success. And uh, yeah, he just basically went, well, fuck this then. I'm just not going to work anymore. And he didn't come back for for years. And, you know, obviously now we we see him in stuff like, uh, you know, he directed uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys last year, which was awesome. Uh, and Iron Man 3 a couple of years ago as well. So, you know, he's he's very successful again now, but at the time he was the lethal weapon guy. And then he did possibly, I think my favourite film of his is The Last Boy Scout with uh, Bruce Willis uh, and Damon Wayans. And that is, a, that is a great film, but not a spy film, unfortunately. But yeah, Long Kiss Goodnight was really, really good. I can't remember what you said about it, though, Steve. Did you... Did you enjoy it? I did from what I remember, yeah. So they think it was, it was good, yeah. Mm. I think my, my only issue with it is that the direction of it seems a bit boring. Like, some of, like the dialogue's very sharp and there's lots of big set pieces and Gina Davis is great in it, I think, and Samuel L. Jackson is Samuel L. Jackson. Literally calls himself a bad motherfucker at one point, um, which I guess is reference to Pulp Fiction. But, like... I can't really fault the people in it. I can't really fault the script so much as it seems a little self-plagiarised. It just it just doesn't come to life, really. There's no zip to it. Um, which I, I'm just going to assume is because of the director. Maybe that's me being lazy, but I just felt like it needed something to to make it stand out more. Because it it's not quite a neo-noir uh, although that's like what it feels like it's going for. And it's not like a big spy thriller either. But it was, a, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, like I enjoy all Shane Black stuff. Uh, but yeah, it was about a million and one times better than the other two. Put it that way. Um, so yes, that's uh, now all for, for this week's uh, podcast. Except for some recommendations. I am going to go with Netflix where Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 has been added. Um, Paul? Do you remember Tucker and Dale versus Evil? I do, yes. Yeah. Very fondly. Yes, that that was great, wasn't it? Well, what happened to the guy who did that? Well, he's back, Eli Craig, and he's brought back Tyler Labine, but only in a small role. Um, Adam Scott is is the star of Little oh. Evil. Oh, um, which yes. I, you, you, like, as soon as you said that because I saw Eli Craig's name attached to that and I was like mm-hmm. why do I know that guy oh well you literally just remind that's him it's that guy that's him yeah that's that guy that's what he's been spent seven years since his last film I think yeah Um. it is basically a fairly gentle horror comedy uh, with lots and lots of nods to the omen Right. I'll leave it at that. Is this supposed to be a recommendation? Yeah. I'm recommending it so you can see what he's done next. Is it any good then? I'm not recommending it as being a really good film. It's, oh, okay. It's, 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 you can, 
good way to pass 90 minutes on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, that's a shame because Tucker versus uh, Tucker and Dale versus Eva was just hilarious. It was amazing. Yeah. And Owen? So uh, I've already mentioned Shudder, uh, Shudder.com, uh, which is like a subscription horror service, exclusively horror. Uh, tons of films on there. It's well over 150, I think. Um, lots of them very good as well. Um, but they are the only place, the only streaming site, I should say, that you will get access to their exclusive of my film of the year, The Love Witch. The Love Witch is exclusive to Shudder at the moment. You can get a free trial. I would recommend giving it a go. Tons of like classic horror on there. Loads of Mario Bava and um, Fulci and all those kind of European guys, as well as, um, as I mentioned, Brian Usner. I watched Society on there. The Reanimator sequels are on there. Bas- all three Basket Case films are on there, for example. But it's also got lots of quality modern horror. Um, and The Love Witch is, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd call it a horror film as more like a supernatural romance thriller. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Annabella's kind of twisted, sexy thriller is like just amazing. On that note, that is the end of this week's podcast. Um, Owen, next week, are you having a week off because I'm on my holidays? Uh, unfortunately, no. I don't get a week no? off. You get a week off. I say unfortunately. Actually, uh, it's Andrew Brooker and uh, Liam are back, but it's it is in the cinema. Uh, the new adaptation of the Stephen King novel. Yes. Getting lots of good reviews, uh, so I hear. So, mm. yes, very much looking forward to it. Yes. Well, enjoy that, guys. Um, I will be on a beach and not thinking about this podcast at all. Not to be too disparaging to any of you. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with contributions from different guests every week, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track The Bandit, remixed by James Yule, who you can find at jamesyule.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics, on iTunes and all good podcast apps, or you can check us out at failedcritics.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. And why not check out our sister podcasts, Character Unlocked, and Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Where you have to tell me whether these potential porn parodies are real or fake. Right. Steve, you're going first. You yeah. ready? Yeah. Poonraker. Bond. <laughs> 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 That's what it's going to be. Does that mean it's real or fake? No, fake. If it's bonk, if it's bonk. Bond bonk, is fake. Right, yeah, Bond is fake. Bond is fake. Bonk is real. Because if it's bonk, then you've no, gone bonk porn is, is bonk. Is real. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you ready, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Right. Poonbreaker. Bond. Gold finger me. Bonk. <laughs> oh, I'm so immature. Sorry? I Sorry, said I bonk. Said, Steve. Bonk. 
<laughs> the last syllable of your words cutting out. Bon. So all I can hear is Bon. It's Bon. <laughs> it could be either. He's edging his bed open. You'll give him the benefit oh, of the Oh, my egg. God. Do you want me to start bon. this again? You just have to, like... Yeah. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> off. This is turning into a shambles. <laughs> right. Oh. Steve. Yeah, let's play Bond or Bonk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.